This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 293, Solar Tax Credits and Bank on Yourself, a Client Spotlight with Julia Amstis. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Wait a minute, you didn't know we had a YouTube channel? That's right, we put content that we don't put anywhere else on YouTube, and you need to see it to believe it. So be sure to follow, like, and subscribe our channel so you won't miss a thing. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode. You know, some people only seem to see challenges, while other people see opportunities. I'm curious, which one are you? When you see rising utility costs and taxes going up, do you complain about it? Do you see the world as innately unfair? Or do you make the best of things and actually turn the problem into a solution? We all face challenges in life, but how we choose to deal with them, I believe, makes all the difference. Now, one of the key things we say in every episode of this show is that we're here helping you think differently with your money, your economy, and your future. Now, you might know that this is a riff on the famous 1997 Apple advertisement to think different. It's excellent advice, obviously. But along with thinking differently is learning to see differently. See, not so average financial revolutionaries like you, we look at the world in a way that's different from what many of the oh-so-average see in their world. And it's why you see opportunities that other people are just going to miss. Have you ever heard of soft soap? I'm sure you have. I'm sure you've used soft soap in your life. Well, Robert Taylor, an American entrepreneur, decided to look more closely at a big problem. The gross ooze that kind of laid underneath his bar of soap in his bathroom and at all the bathrooms he went to and visited across the country. This bar of soap just generates this unpleasant slime or ooze that you can sort of see beginning to foment at the bottom of a soap bar while you're washing your hands. He decided to take that problem, one that everyone would agree was a problem, kind of gross, right? And turn it into a bottle of soft soap. He bottled up the problem, literally, and sold it and made money off of it. Lots and lots of money. He dispensed this soft soap in a beautiful pump dispenser, and soft soap has changed the industry. He took the problem of ooze and mess in your bathroom, bottled it up, and sold it to all of us. What a great entrepreneurial win for him. The entire world saw the problem of soap scum. He saw a solution. Sherlock Holmes, he famously said to Watson, you see, but you do not observe. The distinction is clear. So how do we observe and not just see our world around us? Well, stay to the end of this episode and I'll tell you some practical strategies to do exactly that. Now, so many of our revolutionary clients are doing exactly the same thing. They're seeing differently. They're thinking differently. And this is no different with our guest today, Julia Amstis. Now, Julia grew up in Italy, where her parents served as missionaries until they moved back to the United States when she was 16. She attended Wheaton College and began her career in public accounting shortly after graduation. She is now a senior manager in the National Professional Standards Group of an international public accounting firm. 
She lives in central Illinois with her husband, Steve, and together they enjoy serving the international students there in their community. So take it away, Julia, and teach us how to see and think differently. Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So glad to have you. It's always a pleasure getting to speak with you for our six-month reviews that we have. And we've gone back several years now. I'm trying, I was just thinking about how how long it's been since we set up the policies for you. It was 2014 when we first set up these policies, and now you're off to the races. Uh, but let's before we get into all that fun um, math and money stuff, let's start with food. It's way more fun to talk about food. So what okay. was dinner like at your house growing up? Uh, so I actually grew up in what was called a hospitality house. So my parents ran um, basically a home away from a home for American military members stationed overseas. So that meant that our house had an open invitation to dinner for anybody who ever wanted to join us. Um, we usually had at least one or two sailors or airmen, our soldiers who would join us for dinner most nights. Um, and then on Fridays in particular, we always had a large potluck for any of the families in the community. So we typically would have 45, 50 people around the table or multiple tables, I would say. Wow. Uh, so dinner was always a uh, just a very fun uh, community uh, environment. We had, I think, one night a week where we were kept it to just the family. But otherwise, we generally had a lot of people in the house for dinner. So that was a very fun environment to grow up in. Well, that is phenomenal. And it was a home away from home and you were, you grew up overseas. So did yes. you have, I guess you didn't have burgers and fries every night, I'm guessing. No. So it was in Italy. So we did a lot of pasta, <laughs> um, definitely a amount of pasta, um, but my parents also both loved to cook. So uh, we did a whole variety of things. It could be, you know, I think my mom did like Mongolian beef sometimes and we had a Japanese dinner that was a common uh menu for her, but it wow. could be really interesting. <laughs> what are some lessons you learned about hospitality uh, or money or uh, anything else? Big lessons that you learned from mom and dad? Well, um, the hospitality, definitely just um, the value of opening your home to people. I think that's something that I kept uh, kept up. And my husband and I actually do a lot with international students. So uh, we frequently have students at our home for meals. So I think that's a value that I definitely kept from them. Um, but they also did t teach me quite a bit about money. I think around when I was eight years old is when they started me on a budget. Um, so they gave me, I can't remember, but maybe like at that point, $50 a month or something. Um, but I had envelopes. And so I had to put 10% into tithe, 10% into savings. And the rest was kind of allocated between, I think it was clothing, um, some spending money and gifts. And so I, from the time I was eight, but Almost all of my own clothes, they had certain things that they provide, you know, winter coat and shoes. But otherwise, I bought all my own clothes. I bought all my own gifts. Um, basically, anything I wanted to spend money on came out of that monthly allowance that they gave me. So they started me off very early on learning to budget and uh, just think wisely about money. And are there any important milestones as you became a young adult and into adulthood with regard to your financial journey? I was very fortunate. I never had to deal with... Um, significant college debt. And then I was able to get a job right out of college um, in an accounting firm. And so um, that was really just helpful to have that kind of steady income from the beginning. There was, I'd say one probably moment where I had maybe a little bit of a scary moment when it came to money. It was very great. But in between college and starting my job, I went to Europe on a trip for the summer. 
um, and came back. And there's always that lag before you get your first paycheck. Yeah. And I hadn't realized quite how long that lag was going to be. Um, <laughs> so my first month of living downtown Chicago, I yeah, rented an apartment based on what I knew my salary would be, um, but had spent pretty much all of my savings in uh, in Europe while I was traveling with some friends. So that first month, I remember I was downtown big calling up a friend who owed me about $15 because I needed the last 10 to be able to make rent. That's um, great. So <laughs> These that are the things fun. you learn as a young adult. I love yes. it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Julia, you've got all the places in the financial universe to park money. Uh, and most accountants would like to have us think that deferring our tax is always a good idea. Uh, and it can make sense in some circumstances, but sometimes putting money into an after-tax vehicle so that it's tax-free in the future, like a whole life insurance policy, can sometimes make better sense. So I'm just curious, from an accountant's perspective, why was a whole life policy attractive to you at the time? Yeah, so there were a couple of things. I think one was primarily that I know what the tax rate is now, and I don't know what it will be in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and so I like being able to say, like, this is exactly what I'm paying. This is what's getting coming out of it. I don't have to worry about future changes in what future administrations might do. And actually, now that I think at the time, I was, I think, in a lower tax bracket than I was probably expecting to be at in the future as I continued on in my career. Yep. Um, so it seemed like now would be that 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 point that made most sense would be to actually pay that tax up front. Um, again, being risk averse, I think I tend to be someone who'd rather rather do what I know now rather than um, you know risk that things could change significantly in the future and I might have to pay more if I take it out in the future. I've used a metaphor, and I'd like to know as an accountant what you think of this little fun metaphor. Let's imagine you and I go out trick-or-treating, and we're kids, okay? We're kids, and we're going out trick-or-treating. And um, as we are trick-or-treating, these bullies come up to me, and they start, you know, kind of pushing me around, and they say, hey, guess guess what, little kid? At the end of the night, we're going to take some of your candy from you. So, you know, uh, one, um, how motivated am I? to collect a bunch of candy if I don't, you know, know if I'm going to be able to keep it. But second, I'll reply to these bullies and I'll say, well, how much are you going to take? And they're going to say, mm, you know, we'll vote on that when you get back at the end of the night. <laughs> and that's sort of what the 401k or the IRA is. They, yeah. Congress has not voted on how much of that 401k that you have is theirs at this moment yeah. that they're going to do that when you retire. Uh, whatever the yeah. tax rates are. And you're so right. As you do well, as your as your income grows, that's going to push you into a higher bracket as you get into your career. And you've done such a great job with your career. So, uh, and risk averse, whole life insurance grows on a guaranteed basis. So I think yes. it was it was a great match. I'm glad we met. Um, fast forward a few years. Uh, when mm -hmm. we first met, you were single, you were working. Now, tell us where you are in life now. And then I'd, I'd love to get into how you've recently used your policy, but first start just sort of share a bit about life at this point. Yeah, so um, I am now married and uh, living in the central Illinois area. So I uh, went from kind of single and big city lifestyle to uh, now we have, you know, we own a house um, and are definitely a little bit more settled. Um, still working in accounting, um, but definitely also a different role. I was, you know, when I think when we first met, I was in that space of, you know, crazy busy season hours, working around the clock, that kind of thing. Um, so since then, things have definitely settled. Um, and so I've uh, yeah, been married now for close to four years. All right. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. 
Uh, and so, and actually two years ago, we bought a new house. So I actually fortunately married someone also very fiscally responsible. He already owned a house when we got married. Um, so I initially had moved in with him. And then um, because the both the amount that I had saved through the policy, in fact, I actually used the policy also for helping with the down payment initially on the house and the new one. Um, but because of that and because of the amount of work he put into the old house, we were able to sell that um, and buy our current uh, current home, which is lovely. So. Well, fantastic. So you have a pool of money in this policy and you bring that to the into the marriage. Uh, first of all, I want to know, was there any dialogue between you and your husband on, hey, I, by the way, I've got this thing called a whole life insurance policy. What was that like? Yeah. So um, being the accountant and my husband is a firefighter and a paramedic, so he um, definitely deferred to me on financial related things, but he had never heard of a whole life insurance policy. Um, so the first time we used it was actually to buy a car, probably a few months after we got married. And I remember him just being shocked that we could pay cash um, and then pay ourselves back. He's like, wait, how does this work? We don't need a loan. Um, so that was kind of fun. I think that probably sold him on it right away. Um, and we did pretty quickly after that, I think, set up a policy for him as well. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's all on board now. We've used it a number of times for different projects. And well, things. that's that's a great story. And it just, you know, as as I've been able to work with clients all around the country, it's true. Many single people who get married uh, end up having the the talk <laughs> about this thing called bank on yourself. And wait a minute, you're in what? And this is what? And are you in some kind of like scam? What is this thing? And usually there's several conversations that get had. And then ultimately it's when we use the policy like you did with the car, or secondly, it sounds like this down payment where <laughs> the light bulb starts to come on. And it's a wonderful thing. I, and I'm happy to to see these light bulbs come on. It's yeah. great. And by the way, um, you know, I think you guys are uh, now moving into another use of the policy. So let's yes. fast forward to the most recent use. Tell us how you used your policy in the most recent way. Yeah, so this was just in the last few months. Um, we had noticed that our electric bills were just going up astronomically. Um, I mean, to the point where it was double and triple what we were paying a year ago. Um, and it just seems to keep going up. And so we kind of started talking to some people about uh, the potential for solar energy. Our house um, has a fair amount of sun and a lot of roof space. And so we've been kind of hearing about it. And we had some friends who were who were starting to install solar. And so we just started kind of to look into it. Um, and of course, the main thing that you hear is that it's great in the long run, but it has pretty significant upfront investment. Um, and so there are all these, you know, financing programs you can do where you'll pay a certain amount of interest, usually blow interest at the beginning, but it then goes up significantly over time. And so I knew we didn't want to do that. I knew that we, if we were going to do this, we were going to use our policy in order to pay ourselves back that interest rather than pay somebody else. Uh, so we did a, quite a bit of research, talked to some people, got some quotes. Um, and one of the really cool things about it is it is an initial upfront investment. But there are a few programs that actually like pay you back a large portion of that money in a relatively short period of time. Um, so one of them being there's a federal tax rebate, uh, tax credit. So I think right now it's actually at 30% of whatever the cost of your installation of a solar system is. So and I believe uh, Congress 
recently just voted to extend that for the next 10 years. So if you place your solar panels in service anytime in the next 10 years, uh, you actually get a 30% uh, credit from the federal government back on your tax return. Wow, that's great. And credits are better than deductions. Is yes, that right? Yes, okay. so that's a 30% is dollar. You get every dollar of that credit. It's not so, a deduction that reduces your liability. We don't need to know exactly how much you paid, but give us a ballpark of what Generally, I, I mean, this was a full house solar project, not a one little panel, you know, yeah. on, on your cell phone or something. This was a big thing. So this could be tens of thousands of dollars credit possibly. Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, I think probably it depends on, you know, size of the house and everything. We got yeah. a pretty large system. That's great. Fantastic. Um, but I would say, I don't know, anywhere between 20,000 and 70, 80,000 or so for a full house installation. That's incredible. 30% of that wouldn't, I'll pick that up off the sidewalk if I saw it on the, on the street, right. no doubt. <laughs> so, okay. So the tax credit was a piece, but it sounds like you used your policy. What was the, the value there for you in doing that? So I guess, um, well, main thing was that we could use that money from the policy right away and pay the entire amount. So we didn't have to deal with any financing charges. Um, and we knew right away that we would be able to pay ourselves back that 30% of that amount as soon as we filed our taxes the next year. So that you know loan on our policy, while it still existed, was immediately paid down by 30% as soon as we got that um, tax credit. The other um, thing that we got from the government is actually for the state of Illinois. I don't know if other states have this, but at least in Illinois, there's a program called, I think, Illinois Shine or Shines. And they essentially buy your renewable energy credits for the next 15 years and they buy it up front. So mm. they come out and calculate about how much your system is going to generate. And because their utility companies need renewable energy credits, uh, as part of kind of the regulation of the utility, the utility will actually buy those credits from you up front and you enter into a contract that says whatever you produce for the next 15 years in renewable energy, they get the credit for it essentially. Um, so that was, I think, another about 20, 30% of the cost of the system as well. But they take 10 to 15 months to pay that to you. And so again, here's where if you go through traditional financing, you'll you'll be starting to incur interest on that by the before mm -hmm. you ever get that payment back. Um, whereas we were able to pull that money out of our policy knowing within a year or so, we'd be able to put that right back in. That's an incredible switch from traditional mindsets to go from, hey, I'm going to finance this. I might get these nice tax credits, but um, the state tax credit is going to take us 10 to 15 months uh, and there's going to be interest accruing and so forth. What you've done is genius. You use the policy uh, to purchase the solar. Now, I assume with the tax credit, that's that's a, the federal tax credit, that's just sort of knocking money off your tax bill. But then this state tax credit which might pay you over the next 10 to 15 months, I guess you could possibly use that state tax credit at the grocery store or whatever you need to spend the yes. money on. But I guess also if, if you don't need to spend it, it could go right back into the policy. Is that kind of the exactly. plan? Is that your goal? Yeah, that's exactly the plan. So that'll go towards that loan on the policy. And so after we've done all of that, what we figured out is that basically what was left on our like, policy loan, we could pay off by paying essentially what we were previously paying in electric bills each month. Oh, great. Um, by paying that monthly to ourselves in the policy we loan rather than to an electric company. Because um, another one of the cool things about the way that Least is done in 
um, with my service provider, I have Anrun. Anrun will bill us net for however much electricity we use. So when we produce more than we use, they get to take that energy into their grid and use it. And when it's dark or Audi or whatever, we pull from the grid. But the net effect of that, uh, at least what it's projected, we haven't had a full year now, but it's projected that that basically will essentially zero out our electric bill. So all of what we were previously paying towards electricity will now go back into our policy. Um, so we expect that the full amount should be paid off, I think, within six to 10 years, depending on how we how we decide to do it. Uh, so smart. So one, I love the idea of like uh, you have sort of a relationship with your utility provider where when it's dark or when it's not sunny, you get to pull from what you've saved in there. And it's sort of like, a, I don't know if it's like a credit system or what, but um, there's some sort of ledger that keeps track of how much you um, own, you might say, of energy in, at the grid. That's, that's a really cool st- setup. Yeah. But what I think, and I want everyone to really hear this, we're talking to a super like weird in a good way saver here. And Julia, you, you are a weird in a good way. We're not so average around here on our podcast, as you know. And uh, so because you are such a good saver, I want folks to really hear the 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 creative idea you had. Take the utility bill money that was otherwise going to get wasted at the utility company. And instead of spending it on the next streaming subscription or dining out or whatever, you're a saver. You're, by default, you're thinking, how? what else can we do to save? And you're taking that utility bill, and now it's your loan repayment to the policy loan that you have. And guess what? That money is reliquidated, fancy term, or decollateralized, or it's just made available to you again for what? Maybe it's your, maybe it's the repair on your home, or maybe it's your retirement someday or whatever, but you're recycling that money, much like the utility energy is going back to the grid, you're putting your policy money back into the grid of your policy so that you can pull it out again when you need to, when it it gets financially dark out there. Sorry to switch the metaphor up there, but uh, I'm just impressed with the creative idea of, hey, here's one more way we can sock a little money away rather than just let it, you know, drip out to the Netflixes and the the Domino's pizzas and that sort of thing. So well done. Thank you. What uh, what advice would you have for those who are just kind of learning about bank on yourself? You know that you've been in, at this journey since almost a decade now. What would you want to tell somebody who's still trying to overcome their fear of saving or that little voice in their head that's just trying to I don't know um, whisper maybe the the wrong advice? What would you what would you want to tell somebody who's still just kind of kicking the tires? I mean, I think it's really about thinking long term. I know those first few years can feel a little bit nerve wracking because you see how much you put in. And at least the way I did it, I would look at, here's what I put in, here's what it's currently worth. Yep. And at first that could feel a little bit scary because at first, those first few years, it is more going in than your current value, but it like it pays off so much. Like we were just looking, I think, at how much my, what I put in this year generated. And it was, I can't remember the exact number, you could probably come up with it, but it was like 20 some percent that it grew um, Mm -hmm. from what I put in over just the course of one year. So it really does pay off long-term. You're exactly right. Yeah, that is true. In fact, uh, I won't give exact dollar numbers or anything, but at this point, every dollar you put into the policy is is increased uh, beyond your contribution. It's actually a 30% yield on your new contributions this year. Which will go up to yeah, it's (laughs) unbelievable. And this was in a year where the markets were crashing negative 30%. So don't forget that part too. So you've done a great job in in the patience of saving 
is starting to yield, forgive the pun, but real dividends. And mm-hmm. um, you're using the policy. It's not locked up. Like we're not waiting for this yeah. in retirement. Um, so yeah, g- take take the step to be patient and um, save as as you guys are listening to Julia's story. Take that moment to to take note of how she did it. So um, as we kind of wrap up, um, you're you're preparing your your finances for a really, I think, stress-free life. Do you have any other hopes financially? And it could be using the policy or not, but where do you want to see yourself go next? What do you want to do, accomplish financially in the long term? I mean, I think for me, one thing, and this was, I think, even my goal when I first started talking to you back in 2014, was I really wanted this policy to be my retirement. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted it to be that because I as much as I know, like, you know, social security theoretically is going to be there. I, you know, I don't want to be relying on that. I want to know that I have that money for retirement. Um, so that was probably my biggest goal and still is probably my biggest goal for the policy is that this, this is my retirement plan, um, is that I plan to use that policy to support myself at that point. Um, and if, you know, social security comes through or if I get a pension through work or anything else, that's great. And then I'll be mm-hmm. able to pass that on to my kids someday, I hope. But mm-hmm. um, it's just very comforting to know that you have that available um, and that you're not relying on that coming from somebody else. Fantastic. I love that. And one of the best parts that uh, parts of my work in, in working with clients is we create a spreadsheet of projections showing the guaranteed cash value accumulation and then ultimately the income that comes out. And it's just such a cool thing to say, hey, you know, on a guaranteed basis, we're going to be worth X whatever dollars at retirement. And that seems to solve the problem for a lot of folks who don't know, don't have a clue what they're going to have at retirement and their, say, 401ks, whatever. Uh, so, Julia, thank you. Um, and, you know, your, your, I think, creative ideas for using the policy for things that are going to give you other advantages like no no utility bill, tax, great tax right. credits. It just, I think, is one more reason to consider bank on yourself and using it in a creative way uh, that wouldn't otherwise have been available to you had you not had that money liquid and accessible to you. So thank you very much. Is there any final words of wisdom or ideas, thoughts, insights that you'd like to leave our audience? I don't think so. I just say, um, if you're thinking about it, I definitely would highly recommend the whole Bank on Yourself program. I found it to be just really um, freeing and just knowing that I have that money liquid when needed, but also have it available for retirement has been a really nice both and benefit there. It's nice to be able to know, like not penalized for taking it out like you would be with a 401k. And in fact, you actually end up contributing to your own retirement savings when you do that, which is just great. So um, yeah, I've I've been very happy with it. Thank you so much, Julia. And uh, I'll say, as they say in Italy, ciao. Ciao. Wow. Thank you so much, Julia, for coming on the show and for giving your wisdom and insights. I have three quick takeaways as we wrap up our episode. First, be aware that certified public accountants, CPAs, are often taught to think about tax deferral. Deferring means to just push the problem out into the future, the tax problem, into an unknown future. But Julia was able to think about the big picture of her tax situation and find a way to pay as little as legally possible, not just today, but over her entire lifetime. So good on you, Julia, for thinking different than the constituents of most CPAs that I get to meet. And it's why so many accountants encourage their clients to put money into tax-deferred retirement accounts like IRAs and 401ks. 
So guys, if you're talking to your CPA and they only encourage you to defer the tax problem, you might want to consider meeting a few other CPAs who might have a different opinion. That's the first takeaway. The second takeaway is to learn in your own life, learn where you can implement defamiliarization. What is that you say? Well, it's how can we stop seeing the world in a familiar way and start seeing it in unfamiliar and generative ways. When we look at the world, we should not just examine it, but examine it with a deliberately different perspective, like Julia did. She took the problem and looked at it from a different perspective. So consider the whole, but break the whole down into parts or break it up into pieces. In fact, psychologist and writer Maria Konnikova in her book, Mastermind, Learn to Think Like Sherlock Holmes said, to observe, you must learn to separate the situation from interpretation. You have to remove yourself from what you're seeing. As a technique to improve our ability to, to think different, Konnikova says, you must describe the situation of interest out loud or in writing to a companion. When you speak out loud, you begin to think about things a little differently. As she notes in her book, Holmes and Watson would talk through observations. They'd, they'd describe what they were seeing, even though they were both in the room. When they were trying to investigate a case, often it was through this talking it out exercise that key points to their investigation would become evident. So that's the second takeaway is to learn defamiliarization. Maybe it's thinking out loud, talking with a buddy or a partner about what you're seeing. All right, third takeaway, what are the problems that you're currently facing in your life and let's, for this moment, focus on a financial problem that you might be dealing with and ask yourself this question. Is there something either internal or external that you're considering a problem that you'd like to solve? Maybe you, too, have higher energy costs. What could you do to turn that problem of higher energy costs into a solution? How would you think about it in a different way? Could you talk to someone else out loud about your problems? Observing, not just seeing, but truly observing what's going on in your situation. How would you think about it in a different way? Could you talk out loud with someone else about the situation or the problem you're facing? And oh, by the way, we regularly meet with clients and potential clients uh, for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour and a half to go through their list of problems, concerns, things that they're troubled with. And many times we hear reports from clients saying that just hearing themselves talk out loud to another person speaking about their concerns out loud, they say it's halfway to finding a solution. So with these three takeaways, take a moment and think different. What is something that you can do to turn that problem of soap scum into a bottled up solution that you can truly profit from? So thank you for joining me and Julia this week for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.